Well, good morning. What, what a glorious thing it is to be able to worship corporately, isn't it? To hear uh, fellow believers all around you just singing praises to God. That is a good and encouraging thing. So thank you for worshiping with us this morning. If you want to take your Bibles and open up to Philippians chapter 3, we're continuing our study through the series of the book of Philippians. And one of the reasons that we go through uh, books uh, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, is because we see everything kind of interconnects uh, within the passage. We're going to see that this morning. We're going to see some of the things that we're going to look at this morning connect directly to some of the things that we looked at last week in Philippians chapter 3. And we just see a greater context of that. So um, before we do uh, go into this passage, would you, I know we just prayed, but let's just pray again for the Lord to do a good work. Father God, we thank you for your word, and we're just coming before you again in prayer because we recognize our deep, uh, our deep dependence upon you. We recognize that anything that is going to happen here this morning is going to happen because it's you, because you are the one that works, and you are the one that moves. It's nothing that we do up here on the stage. It's all about you, and it's what you do. So we ask that you would be working this morning. We ask that you would be speaking to us through your word, um, that as we look in your word, that you would open our eyes to see new things in the word, that you would give us ears to hear things in your word, to help us grow in you, to help us to be transformed by you. And so, God, we're just looking for you to do a good work in us this morning, and that, again, you would get all the glory for that good work. We pray this all in your name. Amen. So you probably don't know this uh, about me, but I used to be an avid bowler. Especially back in my elementary school days, I loved bowling. I loved it. I loved bowling so much that for about three or four years, I was on a bowling league. And every Tuesday after school, I was at the bowling alley bowling with some of my friends on a league. I remember one year, our team was particularly bad. Uh, the reason that I remember this so well is because at the end of the year, we got a trophy that said last place <laughs> because we came in last. Now, I don't know. I was kind of proud of that trophy. I mean, I don't think there's too many people that can say that they have on their mantle a last place bowling trophy. But that's what we had. I, I couldn't believe, actually, that we uh, were given a trophy for coming in last place. But let me tell you something. That motivated me and my friends uh, in, in a couple of ways. Uh, one, those of us who weren't totally discouraged from coming in last place and quit, uh, those of us that persevered, we decided, you know, we need to go do a little recruiting. So we recruited hard after Kyle. Kyle was the greatest bowler on the league. He was a couple of years older than us. I think he was in middle school at this point in time. He was like a foot taller than all of us. And we were like, man, if we got Kyle on our team, we would not come in last place. And so lo and behold, we talked to Kyle and Kyle said yes. I think the main reason that Kyle said yes is that he liked to tell lots of jokes and we laughed at every single one of them. And so I think we were on Kyle's good side and so that he said yes and so he joined our, our team. The other change that we made is the next season, we decided to name our team Last Place. We decided, you know, we're going to take this for all of it's worth and we're going to own it up. And so that was the name of our team is that we were called Last Place. And guess what happened the next year? We came in first place. 
Thanks to Kyle, we came in first place. And so right next to my last place trophy, I have a first place trophy of bowling. And uh, we would like to say that we were the original worst to first team ever to exist. I know that that's not true, but we sure did like to think in that way. But it's funny. I mean, it's funny the things that motivated us in order to go get a trophy, in order to go after a prize. I mean, sometimes we'll go to great lengths in order to attain a prize, something that we're aiming for, something that we're running after. So today, in our passage in Philippians chapter 3, Paul is going to talk about a prize that he is striving after. And it's a whole lot more significant than a first place or even a last place bowling trophy. But, and so what Paul's going to do here in Philippians 3 today is he has some challenging words for the church at Philippi. But he also has some encouraging wells, words as well for the church. And I believe these words are going to be encouraging for us too. Today we're going to be in Philippians 3. We're going to look at verses 12 through 16. Um, and I'm going to read these verses now. They're going to be on the screen, or you can read along in your Bible. But if you could, uh, just stand with me again in honor of God's word. Philippians 3, starting in verse 12, says this. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining, forward to what, and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on to the goal, to the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtain. You may be seated. Now before we look into this prize that Paul is striving after, there's some really important things we need to do here up front as, as far as things of clarification go. Because Paul is using some language in this passage that's a little ambiguous, it's a little bit vague, and we need to get some clarity on these things to begin with. So if you look in verse 12 and 13 again, um, notice where Paul says, not that I have already obtained this. And then he says in verse 12, I press on to make it my own. And then in verse 13, he says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Now, we need to really do some work here up front to clearly understand what Paul is talking about when he's speaking of the this and these it's that he's talking about here. I mean, what is the this that he has not yet obtained that he's talking about in verse 12? What is the it that he is pressing on to own, and what is the it that he has not owned yet? And these are important questions because it helps us understand the passage a whole lot better to know what the this and the its are. 
I believe to find the answer to this question, what we need to do is we need to look at the passage, look at what Paul has already talked about previously, and to see what he is talking about. What we need to do is we need to take the whole text into account. We need to look at the context of the passage and allow the text to inform us what is the this and what is the it. Because I believe Paul has already talked about this earlier and so what we need to do is we need to look back up at the passage and say what are you still having in mind paul that what is the this and these it's are i believe that the answer to these questions are found back in verse 8 if you want to look back up in verse 8 he says indeed i count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing jesus christ my lord and this is what he goes on to talk about in verses in verses 10 and 11 and 9 as well. That that is the this and that is the it. For Paul, the, is, the this and the it is the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. I think this is what Paul has in mind here. So I think if we go back to verse 12, that Paul is saying, not that I have already obtained the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, or am perfect in knowing the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ, my Lord. I think that's what he's talking about. And then when he goes on to say in verse 12, I press on to make the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my own. Because Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my own yet. I think this is what Paul has in mind here which I think what Paul sees here is a couple things. He sees that there's still more of Jesus for him to know, more of Jesus for him to learn, that Paul has not arrived. Paul does not say, you know, I don't have a complete or perfect knowing of Jesus yet. So knowing Jesus in this way is the thing that Paul is continuing to press on and to know more and more of. I want to say this right up front, is what kind of knowing are we talking about? We're not talking about knowing Jesus in, in a way that we have to gather facts or information like you would studying for a test at school. Instead, this knowing of the person and work of Jesus is a knowing in a personal way, in an intimate way, in a real way, but also in a dynamic and life-changing way as well. This is the way that Paul is wanting to know Jesus. And Paul knows that his knowledge of Jesus is incomplete. And it's this incomplete knowledge of the surpassing worth of Jesus that, motivate Paul, that motivates Paul to do several things. It's motivating him to continue to press on. It's going to motivate him to forget what lies behind. It's going to motivate him to strive forward to what lies ahead. It's motivating him to press on toward the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So, this desire of Paul to obtain a complete knowledge of the surpassing worth of Jesus is the thing that is motivating everything that Paul is doing here in this passage. John Calvin said this about this section. He said this. He said, Paul thinks about nothing but Christ knows nothing else, 
desires nothing else, and is occupied with no other subject. For Paul, what mattered most to him more than anything was to know the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. Now, before we go into details of the means of which Paul is striving after and pressing on after this, I want us to do one really important thing first, and that is to look at the phrase that is found at the end of verse 12, because I believe this phrase is crucial and so vital for us to see. Paul says at the end of verse 12, he says, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. That is a powerhouse of gospel encouragement for us. Paul says in verse 12, at the beginning, he says, I press on to make it my own. And the language that Paul is using there about himself is in the present tense. This is the current state of what Paul is doing in this moment. He wants to make Jesus his own. That is what he's working on. But then the very next thing that Paul says is because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And now that language that Paul is using is past tense. This is something that Jesus has already done in the past for Paul. And I can't stress how significant this is for us to see here this morning. The first thing I want to do is I want to start by saying what Paul is not saying here, okay? This is what Paul's not saying. He did not say, I press on to make it my own because then Jesus will make me his own. It's not up to us first to make Jesus our own in order for Jesus to decide, you know what, I will go ahead and make you my own now. Jesus' ownership of you as a believer is not contingent on your ability to make Jesus your own first. I mean, can you imagine if that were true? How difficult and ultimately defeating that would be. Because you would always be wondering, well, have I done enough? Have I done enough? Have I qualified that Jesus will now say that he's made me his own? I mean, if we had that, if this was true, we would be always filled with doubting and second guessing and always insecure because we're wondering, have I done enough? But the reality is we could never do enough. That's a works-based mindset, and the reality is, is we can't do enough for, God to, to, for Jesus to do that because of what we do. And thanks be to God, that is not what the text says here this morning. It says that Jesus did the work first. Since the language of, because Jesus has made me his own in the past tense, means that it's already a done deal. It's already been accomplished. The work has already been completed. Believer, hear this this morning. You are owned by Jesus. And that is such good news for us to hear. And this is the heart of the gospel. That Jesus' past tense work for me is the guarantee of my present tense work for him. Jesus took ownership of you 
first. And this enables you to take ownership of him. And this changes everything. When Jesus already owns you, that you can work to make Jesus your own. This is your gospel identity this morning, believer, to know that you are already owned by Jesus. You are his. This means you are secure. This means you are safe. This is your reassurance, and this is your certainty. There's nothing in all the world that can be more secure than Jesus looking at you and saying, you are mine, and I own you. This is also your gospel power. This is your fuel. This is your energy. This is your ability to work to make Jesus your own. There's a lot that Paul is going to talk about in these verses about what he needs to be doing. But we can be encouraged in our work and striving after Jesus because we know that Jesus has already done the work on our behalf for us. This is your gospel confidence booster to know that you can succeed in pressing on and striving to obtain Jesus because you know these things that Jesus has already done this work for you. So as we move on now to look at what Paul is doing and the work that Paul is calling us to do, let's not lose sight of the thing that is holding us up and the thing that is moving us along that Jesus Christ has made us his own. We don't want to forget his work as we move on to look at our work. In verse 12, Paul says he presses on to make the full knowledge of Jesus his own. And he says the same thing in verse 12 where he says, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This word, this phrase, to press on, gives us the idea it means to put to flight. It means to pursue with all your might. It's actually a running term. That Paul is doing this hard work of running after the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. Paul says he's not arrived at knowing Jesus in this way, and that means he's not content with where he is. He's not at this place where he's like, you know what, I think I'm good. I think I got enough of Jesus. He says, no, I'm pressing on. I'm still running. I want to know more and more about Jesus, and I'm going to keep going. In verse 13, Paul shows us the ways that he goes about pressing on. The first thing that he says in verse 13 is that he is forgetting what lies behind. So a good question to be asking this morning is what does Paul mean when he says forget what lies behind? I think this is a really good question for us to ask because I don't think we should think of it in a wrong way. Because here's the thing, I don't think it means that Paul is telling us that we should just forget about our past. I mean, remember, we just saw last week in verses 4 through 6, Paul takes the time to go into detail about his life before Jesus, about his past. And if you remember, when we were going through our series in the book of Acts, Paul repeatedly takes the time to tell his testimony and talk about his life before Jesus. He does this over and over again. So Paul has no problem talking about his past. 
And the reason that he does this is Paul looks back at his past in order to highlight the power of the gospel to save him. You know, remember, he calls himself the chief of sinners. And what he wants to do is he wants to magnify the greatness of God and his work in his life. So how can in one moment Paul be talking about his past and in the same chapter tell us that we forget what lies behind? I think Paul is talking about a different kind of forgetting. And I think he's talking about it in at least two different ways. One forgetting that I believe Paul is doing here is that he's putting away, he's forgetting the way that he used to live and he's putting that behind him. That Paul, for Paul, he is not going to go back to the works-based religion that he lived as a Pharisee. That way of living is in the past for Paul. He's forgotten about it in the sense that he is not going back to that. He is not returning there. And the same way for us, when we came to Christ and we saw our need for Jesus to be our Savior and our Lord, and we say, I'm going to follow you, we all turn from our previous way of living. And saying, forgetting what lies behind, means we're not going to go back to that. means we're not going to go back to that lifestyle, or we're not going to go back to that sin, or we're not going to go back to that worldview or that way of thinking that we used to have. Paul says, don't, don't go there. It's done. It's in the past. Don't let that thing drag you down. Keep running ahead and just leave that where it is. But I believe another way of forgetting what lies behind is to also not be a prisoner of your past. To not allow the guilt or the shame of your past to hold you captive or to weigh you down. And Paul's saying, just forget about that. Your old way of life is gone. When Jesus died on the cross for your sins, he also freed you from the guilt and the shame of your past. So don't live there anymore, is what I think Paul is saying. That it doesn't define you anymore. That your past doesn't own you anymore because Jesus has come to make you his own. So forget those things. And press on and strive to what is ahead. And I believe it's because of the great work of salvation that God has done in Paul's life that is motivating him to want him to press on and to make Jesus his own. That this pressing on is what happens when the gospel comes and does this great work of salvation in your life. That Paul sees this great work that he's done, that God has done in him. And he says, I think he says with joy. I think this pressing on and this striving is something that Paul joyfully does with a thankful heart. Because he sees all that God has done for him. And says, I want to know more and more of the one who has done this great work in me. Which I believe this is why Paul is talking about that he's straining forward to what lies ahead. That Paul is now headed in a new direction. That new direction is straight ahead. This forward motion is where Paul has placed all of his focused attention. And this is where Paul is putting all of his energy. 
I think verse 14 also tells us why. Why is Paul putting all of his energy in this direction of running toward Jesus? It says that Paul is pressing on to a goal and a prize. So what is the goal and what is the prize? These are also really important questions for us to answer this morning. Because if you're going to work really hard and strain after something then the goal must be clear and the prize has to be worth it. Because if you don't have a clear picture of the goal and you don't see the worth of the prize, then you won't press on that hard and you won't strain forward for very long. But Paul has a very clear picture of the goal and the worth of the prize. And I believe the goal and the prize are very tightly intertwined together. I believe the goal is what Paul stated back in verse 11, where it says that by any means possible, I may obtain the resurrection of the dead. I believe that's his goal. His goal is to obtain the resurrection of the dead. And the prize is when he will have the complete, perfect knowledge of the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. This is what I believe that Paul is referring to when he speaks of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The goal and the prize is to fully know Christ when we obtain the resurrection of the dead. And to see that surpassing worth on full display, a knowledge that knows no bounds, that is now clearly seen and goes on forever and ever in all of eternity. This is what's motivating Paul. This is his prize, the knowledge of who Jesus is and knowing him completely. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a moment. I want you to think with me. Who, who's the most interesting person that, that you know? Maybe it's someone that you watch online. Maybe it's a pastor. Maybe it's, you know, someone that uh, is a motivational speaker. I mean, think of the most interesting, most wise, most um, articulate, dynamic person. Most winsome, most entertaining I mean, that person that you would say, you know what? I could sit and I could just listen to that person all day. That person that you think of that you say, you know what? I never, I never grow tired of listening to that person. Like for me, that, that guy's going to be John Piper. I know some of you, it's going to be someone different. But I want you to get in mind, who is that person? And the question that I would ask is where do these people get that wisdom and that personality from? Well, it comes from Jesus, right? Their creator. And if Jesus can create such wonderful people, just imagine what the creator, what the source, what Jesus himself must be like. I don't know how often that we think of Jesus in this way, but there's no one more wise than Jesus. There is no one that is more entertaining or more intelligent or more winsome or more articulate than Jesus. Jesus is someone that we will never get tired of listening to. Jesus is someone that not only will we be able to listen to all day, 
but we will be able to listen to for all of eternity and never get bored of him. And the reason that is, is because Jesus is infinitely wise. Jesus is infinitely entertaining. Jesus is infinitely intelligent. Jesus is infinitely wisdom and articulate. And only seeing, knowing Jesus in this way, will you make Jesus your goal and your prize. So I'll make another admission to you here this morning. I occasionally like to watch Antique Roadshow. Um, I specifically like to watch the ones that show the really high appraisals of things and the faces of the reaction of the people that find out how much uh, the thing that they have is worth. Probably one of the most famous ones, and I don't, you maybe have seen this clip before, is this lady who brings a, a, an antique table to the roadshow. This lady talked about how she was garage sailing, she saw this table for $30, and she only had $25 on her. And so she offered the person at this garage sale $25 for the table, and, and the lady, or the person, I don't know who it was, said yes. So she bought this table for $25. The lady took this table home and began to restore it, and as she was going through the process of restoring it, realized that she had come across something very valuable. What she had discovered was that she had a piece of federal furniture. This doesn't mean a whole lot to me, but it did to the appraiser on the show. It's a piece of federal furniture made by John Seymour and Sons in 1794. The appraisers on the show said that it was the most exquisite piece of American furniture that they had ever seen. And that's what these guys do for their profession, right? So the appraisers asked the lady, because I think the lady had an idea that she had something pretty valuable. She said, do you know, how much do you think your table is worth? And she said, I don't know, maybe $20,000, but I just have no idea. And he said, well, that's not how much your table is worth. Your table is probably worth somewhere between $250,000 and $300,000. And this lady is just, you know, shocked by it. And then what this lady ends up doing is they show what happens next. What happens next is this lady uh, contacts the appraisers and the lady puts the table up on auction and they show the clip and that the, the total that this table sold for at auction is $540,000. Isn't that amazing? I mean, that's probably the greatest $25 investment made, I would say. But you know what I keep thinking about? I keep thinking about that person at that garage sale that sold that table for $25. Like, I wonder, has that person ever seen this clip? I mean, do they realize they had a half a million dollar piece of furniture right under their noses and they just let it go? I just find that amazing. And yet, I wonder, how many of us look at Jesus in this way? I mean, the reality of this, to some, Jesus is just some old, outdated teacher whose teachings are out of sync with the world today, and he's just not really worth that much. But to others, they have an eye to see that Jesus is the most prized possession treasure in all of the world. So I think our passage this morning just asks some really important questions for us to be thinking about. Like, what is your goal? And what is your prize? What is that thing that you're striving after? What is that thing that you are spending your life working really hard for? 
And how does Jesus fit into all of that? Do we see the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ as Lord as more valuable than anything else that we could possibly own? Do we see knowing Jesus as the greatest prize that we could ever possess? Do you have your eyes set on the goal of obtaining all that Jesus has for you at the resurrection of the dead? Is this what you think about? Are these questions that you ponder? Because I believe this is what Paul is calling us to do in verse 15. Look at the first half of verse 15. It says, let those of us who are mature think this way. That I think one mark of Christian maturity is that we are thinking about making our lifelong goal to know more and more of Jesus and seeing Jesus as our greatest prize. So I think, again, this verse asks some really good evaluation questions. Like, are we thinking in this way? Are we spending our time thinking, man, I want to know Jesus more. Do we think, you know what, I'm not satisfied with where I am in my relationship with Jesus right now, and I want to know more of him. These are good, mature questions that we should be asking ourselves regularly. But then look at what the second half of verse 15 says. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. That it's in those seasons where you are not thinking about Jesus, where you're not thinking about knowing more of Jesus and growing in Jesus, that God does this gracious work in your life and draws you back to himself. That God works in our hearts and he works in our conscience and he says, hey, you know what? It's been a while since you've been with Jesus. Open your Bible. Come and know Jesus. Come discover more about Jesus. Come and learn more from Jesus. Our God, he is so good in that he guides us and corrects us when we get off track of pressing on and running. He reminds us that knowing Jesus is the only true thing that's going to satisfy our souls. And he leads us back on the right track to know Jesus. So, is God asking you these questions this morning? Is he saying, where are you at with pursuing Jesus as your surpassing worth? Have you lost your focus on Jesus? Have you gotten tired? Have you stopped running? Is God drawing you back to the things of Jesus? Then Paul concludes our section in verse 16 by saying, Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. What is the truth that we have obtained that we're supposed to hold on to? I believe that Paul would say the same thing that he's been saying this whole passage, which is the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. This is the truth that we are going to hold on to. This is the truth that we have obtained. Which means this is a truth that we're not going to stray away from. We're going to hang on to it and we're not going to let it go. And I think this even asks some good evaluating questions for us to be thinking about. Which is, are we holding strong to the biblical truths of Jesus? 
are the messages of the modern world. And there's a lot of messages out there right now on social media that want to contradict the truths of Jesus and the truths of Scripture. And are those messages coming into our lives trying to get us to loosen our grip on the truths of Christ? Are you, tempting, are you tempted to compromise on the truths of Jesus? Can I encourage you this morning? Hold true to Christ. And the good news is, since Jesus Christ has already made us his own, he's always holding on to us, and he will not let go. So let's be encouraged this morning, believer. Let's be encouraged from this passage this morning. Jesus has made you his own. And this should inform everything in this passage, that we can, we have the ability to press on and make Jesus our own because Jesus has already made us his own. We can forget what lies behind because Jesus has already made us his own. We can have the energy and the power to strain forward towards Jesus because Jesus has already made us his own. We can press on to the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus because Jesus has already made us his own. We can think maturely in these ways because we know that Jesus has already made us his own. And we can hold on to the truth that we have obtained because Jesus has made us his own. This is just how good, how broad, and how strong the gospel of Jesus is working towards us who believe. So let's keep our eyes on the glorious prize and let's keep striving to know more and more of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ as our Lord. Because there is nothing more rewarding. And this is something that we will never regret. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the great work that you have done in us. That great obtaining work that you did of us when you went to the cross and you died for our sins. You gave us forgiveness and you have brought us near to God, and now we are owned. We are sons and daughters, and we are now owned by you. And for that, we say thank you. Thank you so much for doing that work that we could never do on our own. And God, I pray that that great work would be informing everything that we do, that we would joyfully be pressing and striving forward to know the one that did such a great work on our behalf. And thankful that when we get off track on our race, that you are the one that guides us back on to the truth of where we need to go. God, I pray that we would have eyes for the prize. That you would help us see more and more the beauty of Jesus. There is nothing in this world that compares to him. And let all those things that compete for our attention would just fade away because we see more clearly the beauty of the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. I pray this in your name. Amen.